Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to episode 77 of Apply Filters. Today, we're going to talk again to Mr. Drew Janes, but before we do that... This episode is sponsored by Pagely, undoubtedly the original gangsters of managed WordPress hosting. They've been around for a long time, but man, have they evolved over the last few years. From humble beginnings to now hosting huge brands like Disney, Visa, Comcast, eBay, I could go on. They've also figured out who their customers are. They realized that people come to them with complex scaling, deployment, and security challenges. Challenges deemed unsolvable by other providers. And so they made that their niche. That's what they do. They provide solutions to these challenges. Over the years, their technology has seen big improvements as well. One of the biggest changes they ever made was moving all of their hosting onto Amazon Web Services. And it has paid off big time for them. In fact, there was a S3 outage just recently, and they were able to stay operational. There was even a tweet I remember from Scott Bollinger. Uh, I looked it up and it reads, impressed that while AWS is down, my Pagely site with AWS infrastructure is still up. Redundancy for the win. So if you have a big scaling problem, a big hosting scaling problem, you should definitely get in touch with the great folks over at Pagely. They'd be more than happy to chat with you uh, and find a solution to your uh, scaling problem. So also check out pagely.com for more details about their services and, and contact details. I'll vouch for them personally. They host all of our websites and have been nothing but awesome for the last several years as we've hosted Affiliate WP, Easy Digital Downloads, Restrict Content Pro, and actually a whole bunch of other sites that a lot of people don't know about all on Pagely and have worked absolutely swell for us. All right. So today we're going to talk with Drew Janes. Uh, Drew Janes actually joined us previously back on episode 49. And uh, back then, Drew worked as a platform engineer at TenUp. Uh, and now, full disclosure, Drew actually works for Sand Hills Development, which is my company, on our Affiliate WP product. So we wanted to bring Drew in today to talk about batch processing. Uh, Brad and I have covered batch processing in various ways over the last, I don't know, quite a few episodes. We keep touching on it here and there uh, with some of the work that, that Brad and his team have been doing and some of the work that we've been doing on our side. And anyway, we thought it would be good to bring Drew in and get his take on batch processing and ask him some hopefully harder questions about the process of building a batch processing API. One of Drew's projects for the last six months or so was to completely rebuild the batch processing API in Affiliate WP so that we could do things with big data sets. And anyway, um, he went to town on it and he made it happen. So say hi, Drew. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you on. Okay, Drew, let's get into this thing. Uh, so what's batch processing anyways? Like, can you just like give a basic overview what that means? I mean, the, I, I don't know. I guess the elevator pitch of a batch processor would be cycling through a big data set in batches, essentially. Performing some action on 
batches of data on, so that you can cycle through a big data set and tiny little pieces. Are there any uh, quick examples of uh, maybe like why uh, widely used batch processors that that listeners would be familiar with within the WordPress ecosystem? Uh, well, actually, I can give an example from just a couple, like the last major release of Affiliate WP, we added a database upgrade routine that uses a batch processor. Um, and that was, you know, I think it cycled through every affiliate in the database for the current site and like, you know, recalculated unpaid earnings or something. But the point is, is that we have no way of knowing if a customer's site has 10 affiliates or 10,000 affiliates, right? So you don't want to try to run one process against 10,000 affiliates. You'd much rather run, run you know, 10,000 processes, but obviously pretty quickly, but one at a time instead of all at once. So I guess one of the main uh, things that batch processing really achieves is, is the ability to handle big data sets. Are there any examples from, say, the, the wider WordPress ecosystem, maybe maybe WordPress core, where a batch processor is used to do something? Uh, yeah, I think that probably a good, the best example of where you, you could already interact with some stripe of batch processor would be the network upgrade tool. Uh, like when you upgrade WordPress and you need to upgrade something like across your multi-site network, there's like a poor man's batch processor built into core that cycles through every site in your network and upgrades them all one at a time. There's also one for metadata as well, or the taxonomy. Um, right, yeah. Didn't they get rid of one of the tables or something? I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked at that. Um, yeah, they consolidated stuff for the taxonomy roadmap. But yeah, it's the. But see, the difference is, is that Core uses Core uses. Uh, I called it a poor man's batch processor, and that's because it does. It uses page refreshes, right? So like every single step, that the page has to refresh. Oh man, yeah, that's that's ugly. Like uh, the whole page. It just feels super clunky, right? Like I've seen, I, now that you say that, I remember now what it looks like when you upgrade a network <laughs> install and it's just like clunk, exactly. clunk, yeah. clunk for like, for like every, every single site it does that. I mean, oh, it gets man. the job done, but it's definitely not very modern in the way that it's architected. I know we, we've used uh, some old batch processors like that um, in, in various plugins. EDD, for example, used a page refresh for a long time. And it was a constant challenge trying to get big sites upgraded. I mean, the, the idea of that batch process was to handle big data sets, and yet it would still fail because we were still relying on the page refresh. And even if, even if you architect it in a way that is designed to avoid the maximum number of redirects, it can still happen. Going into this, Drew, uh, one of your your goals was to write a new batch processing API. And now Affiliate WP actually already had one. Uh, we, we had built a, a batch processing API that was originally used for a database migration tool to import people, uh, import data from previous affiliate programs, other plugins, and then also to say, import a user's database and create affiliate accounts for them. So what was what was wrong with that batch processor? What were some of the limitations of it? And what were some of your kind of goals of building the new API? Uh, if I remember, remember correctly, because I, I didn't build it, I think it, it followed the page refresh format, first of all, right? I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think that's right. And we also used it for, like I said, user migration tool, I think. There was a batch process for that too. Um, 
again, it was sort of clunky because it was it relied on page refreshes, which meant um, that there wasn't like a really great way to track progress. You could sort of see which step you were on, but the, the, all the context was all um, context was lost, right? Like you had you would know which step you were on, but you didn't really know what was going on, <laughs> and so you would have to just wait until it finished to see if it did what it said it did. I mean, it was a good effort. I think it was just, um, in some ways, inflexible. A big one, and, and this is this is kind of a big piece, was that I think we had one batch processing uh, base class or something like that uh, that lived outside of the APIs that they were extending. So you had this problem where if you wanted to create a batch processor, rather than hooking into the export, like the export API, you had to like write your a new export batch process base class or something like that. It seemed like um, it was just a little clunky in terms of implementing new ones, uh, but it got the job done for what we had, I think. Can we back up just a sec about uh, batch processing? I think, so we, we mentioned that, that one of the reasons for batch processing is that we have this giant data set that we need to operate on. Um, but I think another dimension of this is the action. So the action that needs to be performed on each item of that data set, that action can be a very quick thing. Like it could be a very small uh, process to, uh, to execute, or it could be a very large one, <laughs> right? So, so that's, I think there's like, there's, so there's two, two things at play here. You could end up with a giant data set where every single thing that you need to operate on is actually quite a bit of processing, either power or time, right, as well. So, so that, that's just something else to consider, I guess, when, when you're, I guess, designing a batch processing system, right? Well, and I think it might be worth tipping, differentiating between like the batch processor we had before and the one we have now. I think before, maybe a better characterization would be a step processor, right? Um, whereas now we have a batch processor, which is, you know, we have a lot more flexibility to um, process like one or many items, whereas before it was sort of like one data set with, and then you were stuck with stepping through them. Um, but there was a lot less control over one versus many. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think maybe calling the older one a step processor would be better a better differentiation between the two. I, th I think that's a really accurate description. Like in the, in the old one um, and what we had previously built, um, not just in Affiliate OP, but also in EDD and in other places, it, it really did work as a step processor where we said, okay, we have 500, based on the amount of data we have, we have 500 steps and we're going to do 30 items per step. It was, and most of the time that literally translated to the post per page parameter of WB query. Well, and another way, another thing too that was, I think, a big difference with the other one was that. Um, so, Brad, just to give you some perspective here, like when we're talking about a batch processor, we're talking about pulling for a set of data, and then you know performing batch processes against it. But like generally working toward a goal of whatever that is, like a set goal that we already like a, a, a finite point that we already know about, right? Whereas with like a step processor. We would like do the query on every step, but we would just set the offset, for instance, for whatever the per step value was. So like, like let's say we're doing something where we have to query affiliates. We would like query 30 affiliates 
and then and then you know in the next step we'd query the next 30 but the problem that we would have is that like over time it was hard to track your progress because in it, like unless you were like uh, proactively storing you know like the total number of items finished as you go um, at the end we had like no way of determining the total number of items that had been affected <laughs> You weren't actually, when you would finish uh, operating on a set of data or an item, uh, you wouldn't like store a piece of metadata that said this one's been processed. That right. We didn't really have a standardized like temporary storage, data storage store going on. It was, it was honestly an assumption of, hey, we're on step 55. And so that means that we have supposedly processed 30 times 55 records. And that was it. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. so so you could end up in that scenario processing the same thing twice. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. And you, and you could also end up in a scenario where you would give them bad information about what you'd actually processed on the other end because you don't actually know what you've processed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. All right. So that sets the stage pretty well, I think, for... Uh, the improvement, <laughs> like so. So, what does the what does the new batch processor do? Like, how, for let's start with that. Like, how does it how does it keep track of what it's processed? Uh, well, uh, actually, we we can give an example for something that uh, just got merged in for the next release. Um, we have this this tool for recounting affiliate stats. Um, like, we can recount paid earnings, you know, based off of paid referrals or unpaid earnings or the total number of referrals associated with a, an affiliate or the total number of visits, let's say, right? In the old way, we would have like, basically just pulled down all affiliates and just pro like for, uh, in the tool, you choose one, you choose one of those four things to recount and right for like an affiliate or for all affiliates. Uh, and in the past, we would have like pulled down affiliate objects for all affiliates and then looped through them one at a time, but maybe only processed like, you know, 10% of those maybe. But we would still have to pull down all of them. And with this, like with this new system, and, and we had a discussion about this and there was some confusion and that was essentially that the, the new batch processor only, pull, only pulls, uh, you know, like the unpaid referrals and then retrieves the affiliate IDs from those records. And those are the only affiliates that we actually recount for. We don't even, we just discount everyone else automatically so it's just more efficient at the end then you can give an actual we can give information back, feedback to the site owner that says we process this for five accounts right and then the, and then of course the problem with that was that um, the confusion that creates by telling them how many affiliates have been processed you know then you want to know well why didn't you process all of my affiliates <laughs> So we ended up having to change the messaging in the end to be vague, you know, to say all matching affiliates were processed. <laughs> because in the end, each, each of the four different options produces different numbers and that's confusing. Can you, Drew, give listeners an, an overview of how the new batch processor works? From like having the different, different kinds of batch processors that we have to the registry system that was built. Um, just a really a good overview of how the whole system works now. We actually forked some code that was in easy uh, digital downloads to start our batch processor API, our new one. Um, but as I recall, um, the way it was built for EDD was that there was like a very specific process that it was built for, like import or export or something. 
Um, and it, in our case, we needed something that could be generalized, something that could be used for almost anything, um, and, you know, as defined in a in a regist registered batch process, let's say. So uh, the first thing that I did was that um, we built essentially a registry class, which is um, in core specifically like registers batch processes, and then um, you know defines the class name and then the file. And the reason that we did it this way is that it keeps the batch processor incredibly lightweight, meaning that we're not loading all of the batch processing files like on every page load, you know, like WordPress works for a lot of things. Um, we're simply loading the registry and then we can call them on demand and load the files on demand when we need them. So this gives us incredible flexibility while also, um, you know, keeping the footprint low. So essentially the way our batch processor works right now is it's, um, all batch processes are run through the same Ajax callback. Um, we just assign some values in the form, you know, like uh, data attributes and classes with some JavaScript hook to the selector for the, you know, whatever class that is. And then literally every batch process is run through the same callback. And the callback handles pulling up the registry, finding the batch by the ID that you've given in the form, and then it you know, and then it loads the class and runs the batch process. Um, but it's really nice the way it's architected because I, I'm, you know, I'm so modest. <laughs> it's really nice that it's that it's arch architected in this way because that means we don't, you know, we only have to write one AJAX callback and then we can handle all of the other logic within uh, the server side. So it's, I, I think it, it really ended up being kind of lean because um, all you have to do is register your processes and then the AJAX callback will handle the rest. How does it then know when, when you send that AJAX callback and say, this is, this is the batch process that I'm running, how does it know where it's at in the batch? So, you know, you have this, you have this data set to process, but how does it, how does it know, um, how to go through each of the steps or each of the batches within that data set? How does that part work? Uh, so it's it's actually an interesting um, interplay between server side and front uh, front end and server side client side server side server side I should say um, you know it's essentially it uses AJAX each step is an AJAX call right so we um, and and there was some debate about this when we were originally building it like should we instantiate the class once and then just like iterate on like a static method on, on every call and what we ultimately decided to do was to actually instantiate the class, the, you know, the batch process class on every call, on every step call. So, like, you know, if there's ten thousand, it's being uh, reinstantiated ten thousand times. But the point is, is that we're passing the step data around, uh, like, through the constructor in the batch process, and then, you know, it processes a step based on whatever the current step is. It, in some ways, it's not that far off of the step processor, but the point is, is that we don't lose context. Um, so we can do things like have prefetch, like um, we can do, you know, like um, here's an example, right? In the in the AJAX callback, uh, it tests to see like if this is the first step, and if it is, then we run. Uh, sometimes we run a prefetch, which is like a, an expensive query that we may need that data for every step. So we'll we'll run prefetch and and use a new temporary data storage API to like store that data for the duration of the batch process. 
Um, and then we have an initialization method that pulls data like from the form and makes that data available to every um, step instance of the of the batch process. So, you know, we have prefetch and initialization, which allows us to sort of like um, introduce context to each step, and then it just blindly steps through. You know, we have uh, the step, you know, and the, the process step method or whatever just passes back, you know, if, if it detects that there is more data to process, it, it passes back the next step number, and if it's done, then it passes back done, and then the API just knows what to do with that, and it, you know, finishes the finishes the process and shows the message, whatever that is. Let's so let's say you load the user interface and you hit a button to kick off the batch processing. I guess what you're going to see is a some kind of progress bar. I guess is yeah, that right. And actually, uh, it's funny you say progress bar because, uh, like I said, we borrowed or we we forked code from easy digital download and it actually doesn't use like a progress bar like like you would imagine as a developer a progress bar you know you would think to use like um, jQuery UI progress bar or whatever it doesn't use a real progress bar <laughs> it actually uses like a div it splits up a div into all the number of pieces that it needs and then it just adds background from left to right as you go through the div <laughs> And it's in some ways it's kind of ingenious because we don't have to load the progress bar script. <laughs> it was a total hack that just happened to work really, really well. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but yes, I mean it's just hard to get up point. Yes, it's a progress bar, quote, quote, quote unquote. You have these steps, you saying steps. So Ajax is just passing one step, like step one, like step two, step three to the back end. And then the back end kind of just knows what to do next as, as the next step. Is that right? Uh, sort of. So essentially what happens is the form passes the batch ID, which, you know, we need to pull it from the registry so we can load the class. We, 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 essentially, we essentially send the serialized form data, um, in, which in, uh, includes the batch ID and a couple of other things, and those get passed to the Ajax callback. And then, as a, so, so does does the batch ID the batch ID refers to the data that you've prefetched or not? The batch ID re refers to the batch process that you've registered pre-registered. Okay. Um, and then we use that to pull the data from the registry, which is in memory. But to, yeah, to answer your question, essentially what happens is you know we talked about the pre data prefetch and the and the temporary data store. Um, the way the API works is it pulls, let's say, you know, pulls something, pulls like some massive query in prefetch, right? Uh, and stores it in temporary data store. Um, then as we go, like as a step is processed, we actually store the current count for where we are out of the total count. So like in the, in the prefetch, we set, you know, we have, a, let's say a thousand items to process, right? Um, then when a step goes through, it determines how many, you know, items were processed for that step. And then it updates the current count against the total count. And that's how we display the, uh, the progress bar. That's how we know how far we are. Because it, in prefetch, we've determined how many items we have to process. And then as we process, we update the count. And that determines the, the percentage for the progress bar. Right. And does that data come back? as the Ajax request finishes, is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, that essentially via JavaScript, we update the progress bar with the current percentage. Right. When, when you say temporary data store, um, is that something you guys cooked up uh, in, on, on the back end? Or are we talking about a front yeah, it end? It is very literally like storing an option. It's just okay. that we bypass a lot of the like core, you know, like in the end, we're using the options table, the core options table, but we're not like setting transients or um, doing uh, like, you know, like get option or update option or delete option, because in some ways we want it to be so lightweight that it falls completely outside of the core APIs. Um, right, because you don't want it to be caching that stuff. Well, and, and plus we don't want it to be um, like firing off all of the core actions and stuff that happen whenever you use the APIs. Um, we just want it to store a data for us temporarily. And then, you know, once the batch process is finished, we fire off a finish method, which like trash collects all of this data, temporary stuff we've been storing. Is that part of the API then, the the temporary data and all that stuff? It's it's sort of an adjacent API, but it was built at the same time. Yeah, you ended up building a, a, a data storage class that's completely separate just happens to be able to be utilized by the batch processor. Right. So we built it adjacent to the batch processor because we needed it, but it's not really part of the batch processing API. It just uses it. There was a, a bunch of different things that you did in the batch processing API, such as using interfaces and implement implementations. What are some of these? Can you give me some examples of things that you did that depend on PHP 5.3 or later? Now, I ask this for a couple of reasons. Almost so everything. first of all, in our last episode, um, which was primarily focused on listener questions, there uh, there was some question about PHP 5.3 and the requirements and getting people up to 5.3, still using 5.2, et cetera. And so one of the questions that I like to ask people is, what is it, what can you do on, on 5.3? What can you do better there that you couldn't do on 5.2? So because you built an API that does depend on 5.3 and Affiliate WP requires 5.3 or later, I think it's technically like 5.3.4, did utilizing those 5.3 plus APIs provide a significant advantage or did you just use them because they were available? Aren't interfaces available on 5.2? I can't remember. Uh, um, I honestly I don't, don't know the answer. Exactly I, think, I think they are. I think interfaces are. Namespaces are not, for sure. I guess it's worth mentioning that we just... We use in some ways some very specific five three plus things in core generally, right? That some of these new APIs rely on. So um, I don't I don't know I can't remember when interfaces were originally introduced, um, but like a big thing here, um, Pippin was mentioning interfaces um, was I think before like five three nine or something you couldn't implement more than one interface. I think it was just, you can only implement one at a time. Okay, so like one pattern that you'll see commonly, even in Affiliate WP today, is uh, somebody will write a base class, right, or an abstract class that is then redef you know, extended by something else. And the base class maybe handles the base logic, whatever that is, and then, you know, like um, our integrations API does that, right? We have a base class, and then each integration extends the base class to do things specific to each integration. Um, but a limitation of that means that it is that, uh, like if we were to, to define a base batch process, for instance, um, we would be severely limiting our flexibility. Um, and let me give you an example of that. Uh, we have prior to 
the release where we did the batch processor, we already had like an export and import API. Um, you know, that used step processes or just was just like a one-time shot or whatever. But the point is, is that we already had export APIs. And the problem is, is that there's an, like, like an export base class. And if you create a new batch process base, cl base class, <laughs> you would essentially have to recreate the export API. Because, you know, if, if each batch process is forced to extend the base batch process, it, it sort of lives in its own bubble outside of all other APIs. Um, so, so really what you have to think about is that is what exactly does a base class do? And that is that it essentially create, or what does an abstract base class do? It creates a, a, essentially a contract, right? When you create an, an abstract base class and you extend it, uh, let's say there's abstract methods in there, and that determines that any extending classes have to implement those methods because they're abstract, right? Um, we've essentially managed to enforce the contract using interfaces uh, instead of like an abstract class so that we can create batch processes that extend existing APIs but implement standardized imp interfaces, right? So we have like a batch process interface uh, or we have a batch process with prefetch interface that extends the base interface. And uh, the whole point of this whole discussion is is the contract, essentially, right? Each each batch process implements the contract of the of these interfaces and can live separately in each API. Um, so like, you know, we were talking about the export API a minute ago. All we did was we created a sort of a batch process middle class, middleman class that goes in between the base exporter class and batch processes that extend the export API. Uh, because we had, you know, certain things that we needed to implement that were batch process specific. Um, but taking this approach of being able to implement multiple interfaces instead of having to implement, having to extend a new base class means that we can be incredibly flexible and we can build batch processes for almost anything. And, and obviously that got pretty technical, but the, the main point here is that we're still enforcing a contract of saying you need these methods to implement a batch process, we're just doing it with interfaces instead of like an abstract or a base class. It's interesting to me, this this discussion about interfaces, because I don't think I've ever used an interface personally. And that's like, that's all like, almost like a shameful thing for a developer to say. But I, my gut is telling me that probably a lot of developers out there that probably are in the same boat, right? They just really haven't Maybe they just didn't haven't had a case where it made sense to use them, or maybe they just don't really know enough about them. To I use had them used them one time before this, and I didn't really understand what I was using them for. <laughs> right. Um, for anybody that wants yeah. as well, uh, I'm going to include some links to files inside of Affiliate P that do show um, what Drew was just talking about. So you can go and take a look at some of those classes that, that then extend our, our base classes and implement. If it's a little easier for you to follow along. So take a look at the show notes and we'll have links there. And I think uh, I'm, another example I can give is like we already had uh, exporters for things, right? And the exporters followed a certain pattern because it was, you know, they were, ex they were extending the export base class that was already there. Um, and by essentially creating new interfaces that can lay over the top of that, 
Um, in some ways, you end up writing kind of like a little bit more initial code, but in the end, you write the same amount you would be writing if you were just extending a base class. So the preparation is a little bit more because you have to think about like, okay, I need to enforce the contract in this, this interface over here, and then maybe I need to do some like basic functionality in this middleman class over here. But when you're actually writing your batch process and extending that API, you're writing the same amount of code in the end. It's just that by enforcing the contact within, the contract with interfaces instead of like a base class or abstract class, um, again, you get the full flexibility of being able to extend almost any API and create a batch process that extends almost any API. So if you can extend it to use just about any API, um, you, we had mentioned earlier that uh, this batch process was built to be flexible and to be able to use for anything. So what are some examples of possible applications that it might be used for in the future? I mean, do you want to give examples of what we built them for? Uh, it could be either what we built or just things that you could imagine it being used for, whether we're using them or not. Um, well, obviously, I'm more familiar with our code base. Um, I'll, let me just give an example really quick about things that we've built, to, just to give you kind of a broad idea of how flexible this can be. Um, so we built a batch exporter, which covers anything from, you know, exporting affiliates, referrals, visits, um, payouts, you know, which actually generates a payout. Uh, and separately, we have a, a payout generation tool, which is a batch processor, which is falls outside of the export API. Uh, then we have importers. We can import and export settings, which use batch processors. We can migrate users between plugins, like new, you know, somebody's migrating from one plugin to affiliate WP. We can migrate users from other plugins into our plugin. As I mentioned, we did a database upgrade that basically just extended our notices API. There's tons of migration tools and things, but we also have uh, like the recount tool that I was telling you about. We, we can use that to recount affiliates and that doesn't extend any, API, any existing API. That's just on its own standalone. It, it's basically like anything you can think of where you would have to process a lot of data and it would be intensive to do it you know, you could use a batch processor for that. I, I think we've had discussions about other ideas. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but other ideas in Affiliate WP um, for things that we could use a batch processor here, for. Here, here's one, and this is something that we haven't actually done yet, but it's something that uh, we're actually looking at doing in, in EDD as well as Affiliate WP and possibly other places, is using a batch processing API to do like on-the-fly report generation so one of the one of the um, sometimes it's a downside of e-commerce and and related data is that you have tons of data to work with. Uh, I mean, so for example, if you're running a store that has even a few dozen transactions a day, you're you're looking at thousands and thousands of transactions by by year's end. And at some point, you want to be able to show store owners what that data looks like all together. Okay, what were your total earnings? Maybe what was your average refund rate or your average transaction value, your customer values? A lot of different things, some of which you can you can do through um, static values that are, that are set whenever a transaction is processed. Some of them you have to do with on-the-fly generation or calculations. Uh, and eventually, as your, as your data sets get bigger and bigger and bigger, on-the-fly on generation is just not, not even feasible. And so, so like we, doing, like preloading data, basically. Yeah, pre preloading data and 
and basically being able to run, say, a calculation on a million transactions that then give you various various numbers for your store reports. So whether whether it is your average transaction value or your your cust- your your refund rates or your average daily transactions or or whatever your numbers are, you can start working with huge data sets if you can do it in batches and you don't have to try to do it all in a single request. And so we've looked at extending our batch processing APIs in FWP and EDD and other places to be able to prevent to provide our our own customers with much, much better reporting values. Right. And I mean, Brad, I think one other area that you could probably visualize would be like, you know, I could see the a next logical step being that we move, that we build a jobs queue, right? So you can initiate a batch process in a jobs queue and then walk away or, you know, navigate away and it would just be right. doing its thing while you're doing other things. Right. So basically, background processing so doing batch processing in the background yeah yeah absolutely i was going to ask you about that is that is that something you guys are already doing or something you're you're planning on doing in affiliate wp i can see value in it but we it's not on a roadmap as far as i know so when a batch is processing and it fails how how is that handled like like if it like errors out in the middle or something it would show it would show a notice that said you know something went wrong try again or in some cases be very specific about what went wrong um, but typically it's pretty smooth like I don't think I've really seen cases where something would error out unless they were working with you know corrupted data or something where something expected wasn't there I think typically we we code pretty defensively <laughs> to the point where even if something was wrong it wouldn't necessarily error out right away right so what about timeouts though that's a pretty common thing so like uh maybe maybe the uh each individual task uh is taking longer than you guys kind of anticipated and and then you know maybe a batch uh ends up timing out like the you know nginx 502s or something um like what what happens then is does it come back? Or uh, currently, what happens? happens is it spins and spins and spins. <laughs> I mean, that's it's a terrible thing to okay. say, but it literally just breaks. You know, I mean, when it times out, it, right. and there's nothing coming back from from the, the client side, then it kind of just sits there and spins. But you know, that's really part of the de- defensive coding. Um, yes, maybe we don't have something that handles that kind of failure. Um, smoothly, but if you anticipate those kind of failures and and actively prevent them, and so in our case, for example, we do everything in small enough data sets to try and ensure that we don't ever have timeouts like that because we're never doing large data sets. If if our if the data sets that we're processing fail due to a timeout, it's probably because there's something bigger wrong on the site because the data sets are so small per batch. And honestly, with with a with a good batch processing API, you honestly don't care how small your data set is, um, because it's not going to add very much time to the the total time it takes to run a batch or to run the entire system. Um, you care more about it being reliable, and so you you make your batches smaller and smaller to help prevent you from ever having that problem to begin with. Right, and I feel like uh, along those points, there's a couple things that I could see coming up, like, you know, well, what if I wanted to change the number of items processed per batch or whatever? I mean, I don't, 
I think right now we have a pretty good idea of what a good median number is for whatever data set we're working on. So we, it's not, you know, sometimes it's one affiliate at a time, and sometimes it's you know a hundred at a time or whatever. Depends on how intensive the process is, whatever that is. Um, but I think. Do, do you allow do you allow customization of those things through filters, uh, like tweaking the number? I don't think so. I think uh, currently it doesn't have anything. It's it's pretty much hard coded in the batch processes. That's something we've done. We've ended up doing is allowing people to filter the size of things so that if they do or if they are running on some you know server from two thousand and three or something <laughs> that that they can you know, dial those things down and, and just make it work. And actually I think that's, that's not true. We do, we have a filter for every batch process where you can modify the number of items to run per step. And that's just like a smart filter where, you know, it checks to see if there's a callback against the filter. And if there is, then it checks, but otherwise it doesn't. You can also, I mean, in a lot of the batch processors, at least within our own system, you could, filter some of the standard queries. Like we use our own internal APIs for pulling data from the database typically. And so any of those filters present, you could, you could use those. Now, in some cases it might cause issues with our calculations on steps, but you know, theoretically it could still work. Well, and one thing I wanted to mention uh, too was that, you know, we were talking about how we're using this adjacent temporary data storage API. Um, similarly, we also have a now global logging API that we use for, uh, we have like a debug log functionality in Affiliate WP. Um, and actually like logging batch processes, which I think Brad, you asked about before. Um, I don't I don't know that we have any batch processes that log anything to the debug logs, but it, it would be trivial to implement if we wanted to, you know, um, to log like number of things per step or whatever errors even, if any errors popped up. Um, you know, like there's a few places where we'll like bail from a batch process if there's an error. Um, and you know, if there's a, like, that would be a good place to like log an error in the debug log. Uh, and then, you know, silently bail, but which then would just complete the process. Um, it doesn't necessarily show an error, but, uh, I, I don't know that there's any places that we're currently doing it, but it would be super trivial to implement if we wanted to cool yeah i think i think for the 502 thing um you guys could probably mitigate against that right like uh on the client side so like if the ajax request you know status ends up as a 502 you could just catch for that and say and then show an error that says oh the timed out right. something's going right wrong. because we're looking for yeah. we're looking for certain cues within the what comes back from the ajax call and if they aren't there, then obviously, you know, we can detect other things. Um, and, and part of that, too, is, um, and this may be a little bit a little old school for you, but, I mean, one of the, when, when we first started working on the batch processor, the one of the first things I did was I wrote WPCLI commands for generating core objects. Um, like, because we, you know, we have, a, we have basically five core objects. We have affiliates, creatives, payouts, referrals, and visits. And I created uh, like WPCLI commands for generating those. Uh, and what, where I'm going with this is like the old schoolness of this is, you know, I'm building these batch processes and I have like 250,000 affiliates. 
You know, like I'm deliberately inflating my numbers by a lot. And then I'm just like throwing these massive data sets at these batch processes to make sure that it's not going to break. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, man, you have to, you have you to do have that to. because I mean, yeah, you have to. Cause like, what's the point of building this batch process system to account for those kinds of data sets if you're not even testing against them, right? right? And the number of, the number well of customers actually running sites with that, those huge numbers of objects may not be that many, but I mean, you know, we have to make sure that it can handle that. That's the whole point. Yeah. Well, those customers tend to be the big ones. And uh, do you really want it to not no, work? Exactly. work? Probably, probably <laughs> not. Yeah. Okay, Drew, I think yeah. we got just one more question for you on batch processing before we wrap up here. Um, having now built a pretty kick-ass batch processor for Philly WP, seeing what we had built before that, maybe what we did wrong, what we where we didn't go far enough, seeing what's been what we've built in our other projects like EDD, seeing what WordPress core has done, et cetera, and being all around pretty familiar with batch processors. What what's maybe a little bit of advice that you might give to somebody who's building the first batch processor into their own plugin? I think there's value in having tried and failed with another system first, right? Like a batch processor seems like a great idea, right? But it can feel like, you know, hammering in a nail with an anvil if you're not careful. So I would say, let's say you have something you want to, that you think would be a good fit for a batch processor. I would try it first as like a static processor or a step processor, right? Um, just so that you can sort of figure out where the kinks are going to be. Because once you get into building a batch processor, you want to try to create something that is generic enough that you can use it for more than one thing. That's not to say that you couldn't do like what EDD did and build a batch processor for specifically for import, importing or specifically for exporting. Probably the best advice I could give is is to try and fail first with something other than a batch processor. And that sounds like terrible advice, <laughs> uh, but it's important to get have perspective, I think, on how you expect it to work. Um, if you try to dive right into building a batch processor without having like a demonstrated need, then it may be a little more than you need. That's a great bit of advice. Like when you're starting out uh, building something new like that, to just focus on a very specific problem instead of trying to build this abstract generalized thing. Because I find like the complexity is just so much greater when you try to account for every possible scenario versus just trying to cater to this one, to fixing this one problem and then trying... Then after you get that fixed and nailed down, then make it general. And right, and there's absolutely no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with building a specialized API and then making it abstracted later, right? Because if you build it, you know, special now, then you can test, you can write tests for the special case now, and if you find that you want to reuse that code later, then great. But if you start abstract, it can, you know, you can, you can skip a lot of steps, a lot of learning steps about how you need it to work. Uh, and it ends up, in some cases, I think, becoming kind of a big jumbled mess. Drew, I think the a, a lot of the reason why you were able to build the abstract API that you did is because you had a lot of that backbone to already work on where there were those unique uh, or very specific problems that had been solved and then readapted that showed all the different use cases. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, Brad, a good correlation to that is... Um, like 
you ever seen a brand new product website, right, that has an FAQ on it? And you just think to yourself, who's asking these <laughs> questions? <laughs> it's like that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I, I, I equate that is like, if it's a brand new product, how can it have frequently asked questions? Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the similar problem with, you know, build the, the specific thing you need now. And if you need more of them later, then maybe abstract it out and, and your learning process will dictate what you need. Couldn't agree more. That's great. Well, cool. Thanks for joining us, Drew. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thanks again to Pagely for sponsoring this episode. Uh, you can go check them out at pagely.com. And if you are interested in in the, the business of hosting, in the business of WordPress or anything like that, or just an interested individual in general, definitely go check out their 2016 year in review post. It's an excellent um, insight into some of the decisions that are made at Pagely and is highly educational. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Catch you next time.